0: Welcome to The Skift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. Europe had a gangbusters year for tourism in 2017, with 671 million international arrivals. That was an increase of 8% from the year before and followed several years of much smaller growth. Parts of the region, of course, have faced significant challenges in recent years that kept visitors away, including terror attacks, political instability, and financial struggles. But some have also been dealing with the problem of too many tourists, or at least too many tourists in one place at the same time. We at Skift call this overtourism, but as you'll hear, at least one popular destination is not embracing that term. We tackled these issues with some European tourism leaders at Skift Forum Europe in Berlin recently and on today's episode of the Skift podcast, we'll hear that conversation. At the event, Europe editor Patrick White spoke to Jennifer Idoux, head of research and development at the European Travel Commission, and Inga daughter, director of Visit Iceland and Creative Industries at Promote Iceland. They discussed strategies for tourism marketing, the need for destination management, and how the desires of visitors are shifting. This is one of several conversations we're bringing you from Skift Forum Europe. And now, here's the talk.
1: So over the past few years, Europe has seen its fair share of troubles. We've had terrorism, we've had political instability, we've had financial instability. And what's pretty incredible is that Last year, there was an 8% rise in, uh, in tourism arrivals for what is a pretty mature market. Um, you can read a bit more about that in our magazine, but this session I really want to talk about the macro view and then the micro view as well. So we've got Jennifer and Inga, um, And I want to start off with you, Jennifer. If you could tell me what you think this increases down to. What, why has Europe done so well in 2017?
2: Well, um, 2017 was what I would call an extraordinary year. So last year we saw the number of tourist arrivals increase impressively compared to, well, since the pre-crisis period in 2009. And since then we've seen how growth has been actually fluctuating quite a lot and on an average more or less of 3%. So this is actually quite good. We saw an increase of 8% and uh, we hosted 671 million tourist arrivals in Europe and um, we hold 50% of the share of worldwide tourism, so this is actually good news. And if you ask about the, the reasons why, well, it wouldn't make sense to talk about growth in arrivals without mentioning the economic expansion, for example. Uh, We also saw that many destinations that were not performing well due to some terror attacks are actually improving. So if we go back in time, in 2006 we grew by 2%. So this was because of the terror-related events that we saw in some destinations. And uh, this was actually particular destinations, but in reality, the other European countries were performing quite well.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because we hear a lot about Spain doing extraordinarily well for such a mature market again. But are there any? Is the kind of is the growth unevenly spread? Are certain countries doing really really well, and others are kind of languishing? You know, the UK, for example, maybe hasn't done as well. Is that true? Um,
2: the UK just saw a, a very tiny slowdown because of the the pound got um, devaluated, but um, it was just some specific destinations that brought down the overall regional growth, but this was able to offset the the, the performance. So while some were doing very low, others were doing well. So in 2017, these destinations uh, recovered. They're slowly recovering, and together with the other ones that are performing quite well, including Iceland and many other European destinations, we were able to, to offset this. And um, other destinations that are actually doing quite well are in Southern Mediterranean Europe. We see good examples in island destinations like Malta, Cyprus, or for example, Montenegro, Serbia, Slovenia, so they're actually performing quite well and they have proved to be able to mitigate seasonality. They saw more than 10% increase in 2017 and they, uh, this is following the, the momentum that they built already in 2016 and at the beginning of 2017. So they perform well not only in the summer peak season, so this is a, a quite important fact. These destinations are, are they perform quite well and they depend a lot on their summer peak seasons but they were able to do uh, to record extraordinary results outside this this season. So it's quite this has a become good.
1: a trend in travel in certain destinations. I know Greece have done it, I think Iceland have been pushing it as well. You expand the season to to kind of manage tourism flows. If I bring you in Inga now, is that something Iceland's been looking at managing the number across the year and make, expanding the season?
3: It's been our main focus actually. If we look back to 2010, um, which many people look at, what happened? Something in Iceland with a uh, bit of a volcanic eruption, if you remember, and, and put us on the map. Um, but if you look at the numbers since then, we've had 20 to 30% increase in the last few years, every year. But most of it is off season. And it was decided uh, on a strategy level in 2011 to put the focus on the off season. But since then, we have actually been developing as well to think about our seven regions as well. So we also want to look at the sort of the off season and also spread people uh, and travelers around the country and introduce new regions and new attractions in that sense.
1: How do you force people to travel outside of their? Peak times, because you know, if you're a family, you've got school holidays, you've got to travel within that six weeks in the summer. How do you how do you intend um, kind of incentivise people to do that to go in March, April, or in the winter time or whatever? How do you get people to do that?
3: Well, I just call them up and ask them to come. <laughs> no, um, I mean, if you put your focus on the marketing, for example, we, we were always a bit shy of showing the winter season in Iceland. And you were shy about showing the, the different weather conditions in Iceland as well. And we've, not, we've been actually been showing that for, through, the last, uh, through, through the years now. And also, we've been focusing a lot on the cultural side of Iceland and, and the people that are living there, and not only on the natural uh, n- nature. Um, what you actually do is also uh, when I started in 2010, you had three airlines flying to Iceland all year round. Today there are eleven airlines flying all year round, so and we have forty-nine destinations throughout the year, 100 in the summer, summer season. So that's also important to develop like that. But also what you do is to work with the tour operators, you work with the Icelandic industry on introducing the winter season to have the products available. Also with the, the foreign tour operators. So it's, it's, it's a link to so many factors uh, around this. It's not just one marketing campaign that is gonna save everything. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, airlines and airports are something that's been really important to Iceland. I think you know the, you've got the, the stop-off point between Europe and the US. Have how has that helped? Because you've added the airlines, has it just brought in loads more people? And has that been a hard thing to manage?
3: I mean, uh, Iceland is quite small, and we would not not be able on around 340,000 to run all those airlines or 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 the destinations in that sense. It has completely change the scenario that we have. You have around, probably this year, around eight, th- 8 million people going through the airport. Not going into Iceland, but going through the airport. Which is quite a big number.
1: Is that uh, a good or a bad thing? Because I mean, that's these a good people thing, aren't going into, they're not going, spending in shops, they're not spending in restaurants, they're not they're just passing through. Is that something you, Do you want to capture more of these people? I mean, or? we
3: have a better manageable number with 2.2 million people coming to visit us last year. Um, but for us to have the destinations, to have um, this kind of a volume, you're both you're creating jobs in Iceland because you have to service in the airport. But most importantly is that with all the destinations that you have is for, I, for Icelanders, business-wise, this has been important for us to be able to travel to the destinations, for export industry as well, so it's not only been about the, the tourism industry in that sense. So for, yeah, to be in the middle <laughs> is an advantage, I think, for us.
1: And Jennifer, has low-cost airline growth in general across Europe fueled tourism in certain destinations more than others, is that something you've seen?
2: Um, what we've seen is that there is a sudden uh, interest in low-cost airlines. It's something that actually been going on for many years already. So there is this boom, and low-cost airlines in Europe continue to boost uh, travel within the region. Um, the 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 benefit that we've seen is that, thanks to the um, the liberalisation of the of airlines, the airline industry in Europe there are more destinations that people can reach within the, within the region. Uh, it's also been uh, a catalyst for the development of um, um, tourism in lesser-known destinations, in small cities, and it has definitely been uh, a, an impulsor of, of city tourism and, and short breaks as well.
1: So Ingo, I want to come to you and talk about Iceland's phenomenal tourism growth. We've seen, you know, it's huge numbers of people going there. Tourism is something you've, the country's really concentrated on. I think I'm right in saying you get forty thousand visitors a day. Is that correct?
3: Um, on average through the year, if you look at it like that, it's around fifty thousand okay. people at this at this point. Um, in the highest peak, it's around ninety thousand, and then it goes down to thirty thousand in the in the off
1: season. And there's only 338,000 people living in Iceland.
3: Yeah, but So
1: that's a huge number compared to the number of people there.
3: But put it in a perspective that the country is 103,000 um, square kilometres. That's quite a big size and you get the same numbers into even the parliament in Germany, I think, a year. So it's not like we're drowning.
1: <laughs> but you've got a problem, yeah, it's a, like, lot's it's of a space. challenge because it's con- Reykjavik is very, very popular for obvious reasons. How do you go about managing tourism? We talked a bit about the seasonality, but what about within, within the actual destinations themselves, the cities, and you know, not controlling tourism, but dealing with it and making sure it's evenly spread?
3: Yeah, um, I mean I think every destination in the world is thinking about that, like you say. And we've we've been doing several things. Um, one of the things that the government did in 2015 was to put up a tourism task force, because um, as you probably all know, uh, it's not based in one inter- one ministry, the tourism. Um, it's it's associated to the transportation, is the health system, and, and many other. So there are four four ministries involved in this. It's the industry itself and also the the municipalities and this has proven for in our opinion, to be a really good step in this direction. We've also in, uh, in the last few years been working on what's called destination management program with the regions and with the Reykjavik city as well, where you're actually trying to focus on where people are traveling, why are they traveling there, uh, what is the identity and so on, and what's the um, the attraction in that area, so you actually are better prepared for that kind of a, a, a development. Uh, also, what we have been doing in the marketing side is that we've been focusing a lot on responsi- uh, responsible travel behavior. So we've actually, in our marketing, been doing humorous videos on how to how to travel a responsible way around Iceland, how to drive in Iceland, how to dress in Iceland, how to go even to the hot tub or make a safe selfie and, and other things like that. Do you that. find
1: people don't realize, understand how to do that, have no. you had problems?
3: No, there there are things that are different with Iceland because you have icy roads but, uh, and you have other conditions that can actually just change in five minutes mm-hmm. and and that's something that people don't realize before they come to Iceland. And for us, I think, and, I'm, and for many, we've been talking a lot about being considerate, and to be considerate to your society that you're traveling to, to the, to the Icelanders, to the nature, and, and just to be a considerate traveler in, in general. And last summer we did what we called the Icelandic plats where we asked um, tourists, and we're still asking them to do that, to plats like a scout that you're going to be responsible when you're traveling in Iceland. Because Iceland is a bit different from the, in that perspective. they are an island with a delicate nature. Um, it's small communities. I mean, Reykjavik is relatively small. In general, it's 180,000 that live in Reykjavik area, the whole area. So it's important to be considerate in that sense. But how to manage or how to distribute, I mean, I think we're all trying to find the right way of, of, of trying to balance this and, and find the harmony in mm. this. Relationship, and that, if we and that kind of
1: brings us to um, a topic that was mentioned in the opening presentation, one of our key themes over the last couple of years, over tourism. Yeah. And, Jennifer, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. What you've seen in Europe, certain destinations, how they've managed it, uh, some doing uh, better at it than others, do you think?
2: Um, I mean, it depends because we can see how tourist arrivals are growing, we can see how uh, the world population is also growing. So. This is what has actually brought to our attention that overtourism has been a problem in several destinations. And we can see, we need to look at this at a city level, not at the destination mm-hmm. level. So we see examples like uh, Venice, Barcelona. We saw last year how the iconic Azure Eye in, in Malta was down as well, or the fishing town in, in Spain in Benidorm is practically non existent. So I suppose we need to find a way how. Uh, local community and travellers can coexist in the same place but in harmony. So uh, I suppose the tourism managers, decision makers, we tend to see only the economic benefits and ignore the, the potential negative impact that tourism can have in a destination. So we, we just try to avoid seeing uh, crowded areas, crowded monuments or historical uh, heritage sites or water and air pollution. So these are the things that we need to, to try to to address, and we need, most importantly, to involve the local community. We need to make them feel that they are heard, we need to involve them in tourism decisions as well, we need to listen to what their needs are, what their concerns are, and we need to also explain them what the benefits of tourism uh, may bring. So it could be economic benefits, revenues, creation of jobs, so if these two areas are addressed properly, we can try to, little by little, find a way to, to address this, this main, main topic. I think
1: there's always been a disconnect between the benefits of tourism and that, and that filtering down to the local level. There's just they don't, people in these destinations don't see the benefits, so I guess that's part of the challenge, isn't it, for, for city exactly. tourist boards? And also one of the things I've noticed that when I was talking to countrywide tourist boards, they weren't necessarily as receptive to the idea of over-tourism, and they were kind of talking and thinking about maybe volumes, whereas the city tourist boards themselves were more aware of it and are starting to, uh, this is a couple of years ago, starting to think about it seriously, so Amsterdam, Barcelona. Do you think they are taking it seriously enough?
2: They are they are definitely taking it seriously and another important fact that they should also uh, that we've seen that they're doing in many many different cities is dispersing travelers in different areas I think uh, Iceland is doing this as well uh, if, uh, with the airlines trying to take people to different places mm-hmm. so it's also a matter of uh, not concentrating travelers in the in the most uh, landmark in the landmarks mm-hmm. in a destination. Mm-hmm. And this also comes along with the the trend that we're seeing in travelers. They don't want to go anymore to iconic places in a destination, just take a picture, post it on social media, and that's it. They want to explore the unexplored. They want to go to different places, they want to live like a local, they want to eat like a local, they want to immerse themselves in the local culture. So I think we should actually take advantage of this.
1: And just moving on to Iceland specifically, uh, we've written about the challenges of Icelandic tourism um, and uh, uh, managing it. Do do you have an over-tourism problem, would you say, or or not?
3: I I would not say so, even though Iceland is... Repeatedly uh, mentioned but uh, but that's one of the reasons why Skift wrote an article one of the first we articles did. on over tourism in Iceland was was part of that or I think it was actually about Iceland
1: in yes it was a very good article <laughs> but
3: in, Rafa said that actually uh, in the beginning over tourism is about of course the challenge but it's also about finding the solutions mm. because I, th- I think everyone are traveling today and it's, it's going to be just going to increase and increase and increase mm. so for us I mean if you look at the numbers, you know, in this sense, in Iceland you have 95% of the tourists satisfied with their trip. 90% say they're going to come back. Icelanders 90% say that they're positive towards tourism and, and the industry itself. Um, 70% however say that they are, are uh, worried about the, the impact on the nature. If they would not say that, I would be really worried, to be totally mm. honest, as well. Um, And there are many other numbers that you can have a look at in in, in this uh, sense and also the size of the country, uh, the numbers and all of that. But when are you in over-tourism and when are you not? Because today tourism is a whole year industry in Iceland. We are finally seeing an industry that is the most important uh, revenue generating industry for Iceland in that sense. It's larger than the fishing industry and the aluminium export. Do you think Icelanders know that?
1: Do they know? Are they aware how important it is? Or
3: yeah, they know that. And and, but like Jennifer said, we are all struggling about you know pointing out the economic uh, importance of it. But on the other side, it's tourism is something that affects us all. Is personal. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, you go down to the city center and you will meet a, meet a traveler, but I think if you look at the numbers in Iceland and the, the research that has been done on the Icelanders themselves and the impact, they're all in general very positive towards, towards it, but they just wanted the industry to, bar, to be organized.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I think that's something that we're all doing. But over tourism, I would certainly not say that because most of the, the growth and the when you hear the numbers, you might be going like, whoa, that's a lot, of, a lot of people. But when you look at the numbers and you see where the growth has been, it's been in the regions, it's been in the off-season, you're using the infrastructure much better, you're using the hotels, the activities, you're being able to build up better activities, then no, I can't say that we're in an over-tourism situation.
1: But as a destination
3: Even though everyone wants to, wants to <laughs> be there.
1: <laughs> but as a destination that's had this massive growth in tourism and been, become really, really popular, like loads of people want to go there, all my friends have been, like, it's very popular. Have you got any advice for destinations that may be um, wanting to, who may become that uh, kind of new, buzzy destination?
3: I think for me, for myself, um, the, the, the importance of the government and the industry working together has been so much important. And to keep a focus... To make that strategic decision that we made to put the focus on the off-season and the responsible travel behavior now and all of that, I think that's something that every destination should have a look at. But it's not easy. I mean, Iceland is quite small and we have fewer companies and all of that than the rest of the destinations. But this conversation, regular conversation throughout the year, like we do, we have monthly meetings together and and, and discuss the development. I think that's one of the key things that has been for Iceland, but of course there's just Never one point that you can say, this is the reason why it's been successful. There are many other aspects to it.
1: But we were talking backstage about a story that was in The Telegraph, I think, this morning yes. or yesterday, about um, tourism numbers and how Iceland maybe wasn't recording <laughs> the correct numbers. <laughs> um, uh, what do you say? Is this true? Have you been miscounting the number of people who've been coming to Iceland? Is tourism not as big there as we, we were led to believe?
3: I mean, all of us are dealing with numbers <laughs> in that sense, all of the destinations. Um, Iceland is an island, so you can actually, and there's actually people in the airport that are calculating and and they're asking where you're coming from, so they are calculating how many people come to Iceland. Um, and, and travel through the airport as well and, and so on. Um, I think you will always have people that are traveling to the country as, as, uh, to work there or are there just for the day and things like that. So you will always have some miscalculation. Um, the tourist board did uh, research and they said about 5% were traveling to and forth for, for, from Iceland as, as workers that's probably gonna be the same in the other countries and they're probably not calculating it either. So I think in the end it's gonna even.
1: (laughs) And Jennifer, is data collection tough? Is it difficult to get the correct numbers and to have a realistic view of what the actual, what is actually happening in the market? How do you guys collect yours?
2: we collect our data um, that's provided by our, our member countries in ETC. So it's not an easy task to, to make sure that everybody that's collecting data has the same numbers. I think it, the fact that harmonizing the data is one of the, the sort of difficult things that mm. we're dealing with. But I think the most realistic way to collect data is to ask for it directly from, from the member organizations. We ask for it from Iceland, from Spain, or from the destination um, directly.
1: Okay, I think uh, we've got time for some questions. Uh, So the first one. How much of over-tourism is due to quantity and how much is due to the quality of tourism? Types of tourist engagement, cultural awareness. So yeah, that debate over quality and quantity, is that something you try and push in Iceland?
3: Um, What do you mean by it's due to quantity? Is the numbers of tourists? Well, I think some destinations
1: want the volume, some are are more focused on getting the quality.
3: Oh, no definitely quality in our our perspective because what we have been focusing on is the is to how uh, evenly is distributed through the country uh, as i mentioned the off season and that part of it but of course the cultural awareness is is important and and we have a pretty good mix of people um, uh, country wise we have people coming from the north america from the uk from asia from europe in general so i think that's part of it of course um, but you know, We're all thinking about how much people are spending as well, that's been very much important, how much every, uh, the type um, of tourist is spending, how, much they're, uh, how long they're staying in the country, if they're coming back and
1: so on. And then we have, as less mature European destinations emerge, what examples have you seen of attempts to mitigate too rapid growth? yeah are any countries doing well in kind of managing any kind of new emerging countries doing well in managing tourism?
2: I mean the more mature ones are the ones that are actually having to face this over tourism problem and the less mature ones they're growing at the moment so they just want to attract more and more tourists and some of the good examples we've seen is uh, thanks also to the increase of low cost um, carriers so they and and increased air connectivity so we can see how you can have flights to many different uh, destinations um, cities in one destination, so you're not concentrating people in one place. So thanks to, the, to more connectivity in the country, we can see how some of them are trying to, to displace or to, to spread tourists across the, the destination and not focusing all of them in one single place.
3: And mm-hmm. um, If you mention regarding Iceland in this sense, we are expecting slower growth this year, 10 to 12%. Really? I was going to ask
1: that question actually about you know. 2018. Um, can you give us a sneak preview of what, are we going to have another year of 8% growth, do you think?
2: We are going to have another extraordinary year, but at a more moderate pace of growth. So we do foresee uh, growth in tourist arrivals in 2018, of course, held by the encouraging economic conditions in the Eurozone and in also in some of our key source markets, the U.S. China and definitely Russia. We're seeing now uh, a revival of the Russian outbound travel. Um, this comes along with the with the recovery of the of the economy in Russia, and the the is also recovering. So this is going to just uh, continue boosting travel arrival uh, travelers to to other destinations, particularly neighboring countries in to Russia. But overall, the picture looks very. Positive.
1: That's a good note to end and I'm getting the red flashing lights, so um, we're gonna call it a day there. Thank you very much Jennifer and Thank Inga you for know. your time today. Thank you. Thank
2: you.
0: <laughs> if you like what you just heard from Skift Forum Europe, there's more to come. The inaugural Skift Tech Forum is June twelfth in Silicon Valley. Our first Skift Restaurants Forum is September twenty-fourth in New York City. And Skift Global Forum is September 27th and 28th in New York City. Find out more at forum.skift.com. This show was produced by Ben Glauwe, who can be found on Twitter at visible underscore sound. Assistant Editor Sarah Enlow provided additional support. To subscribe to this podcast, search for Skift on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating and a comment to help other listeners find us. Past episodes and a link to subscribe are online at podcast.skift.com. And this has been the Skift Podcast. Thanks for listening.